Welcome to BNB with Ellie, Biohacking and Beyond, the podcast where we dive into the incredible world of self healing and mind body connection using biohacking and lessons from Germanic New Medicine. Good day, everybody, and thank you so much for listening in on this next episode of my podcast, Biohacking and Beyond with Ellie Abella. And today I have a guest that I'm really excited to introduce to you guys. She is one of our greatest success stories and still ongoing because of her knowledge and research of Germanic New Medicine in order to address her conditions. And her name is Monica Manzano. Hi, Mon. Hi, Ellie. So good to be here and talking to you. I Hi. love listening to your podcast. Thank you so much. And I, I know that it is nothing short of a miracle for you being here because maybe not so long ago, you weren't really able to be with this in this kind of level of vitality. So we'll use the podcast, of course, to share your story. But Moans, can you start by sharing your journey with myositis, with pneumonia, kidney collecting tubules? What were the initial symptoms and did you receive any diagnosis? So as some of you know, some of my friends who are listening, my family moved from our idyllic dream life mm-hmm. in paradise back to the urban matrix just early this year. And that took a toll on my body because every time we move, other people say it's almost as if someone in the family dies. That's the level of stress that we go through. So I noticed that I started having symptoms on my health declining starting January this year. I would have pain. Well, my I woke up one day with my hand already bent on my right hand. My uh, finger was bent because I was cold, I think, one January morning. Um, this was leading up to us moving here back to Manila from Palawan. And then... I felt cold and I started feeling pain on my feet, my legs, my arms. And that went on, you know, I just put it at the back of my head. I still, I had a lot to do. We had to move. So um, I was feeling pain only at night, I remember telling you. Mm-hmm. And then my energy levels were still okay, but it was slowly declining as the months went by because I was busy moving, teaching, getting my kids into a new school, preparing them for a new life in the city, which is what they wanted and they deserve because, you know, they wanted to experience a big school after being homeschooled for six years, homeschooled and unschooled on the island. It was a big change, such Mm -hmm. a shift for my whole family. And in fact, for my nine-year-old, it is her Rubicon year. And I really resonate with that in the Steiner uh, philosophy in the Waldorf education. The Rubicon year is the age nine. It's really the expulsion of the child from the kingdom of childhood. So you really feel mm-hmm. like from this dreamy state, you go into a more real world, you know. And mm-hmm. I really felt that with her. So I'm really going through this experience with my nine-year-old because it felt more real. (laughs) Like physically, we also felt it, right? In this physical manifestation of the actual moving from paradise to back to the city, back to the grind. And so finally, when we settled on a new place, that's when I really felt, oh my gosh, I am tired. My husband asked me to stop teaching yoga because I was still teaching. Here, I created the yoga group. On my building and he said i noticed that after teaching you you are spent so on mother's day i did a fi- final yoga class for the building it was a seva class 
And I stopped. I said, this is my final class. I'm going to rest. The moment I said that, I guess, my body just really went into full yin, mm. resting phase, like I was bedridden. And, you know, it really felt like, wow, I've never felt this tired before. I could not even read my son a storybook. Like I, like the level of vitality, like you can really sense it with the way someone speaks, right? So I can't even talk to anyone on the phone or hold the phone for the matter. It's just too weak. Yeah. And you telling me, you can't fight nature. You have to listen to your body and yes. rest. And I noticed that people have this timeline of expectation of when we are mm -hmm. like it's accepted that you be sick for a week maybe two weeks is pushing it like something's wrong with you like you're not mm -hmm. you know getting better or you're not what you used to be and you better go get yourself checked so I was pushing it for Mother's Day I, about a month before I got myself checked in a, not even a hospital a clinic like a general checkup. But I remember that day I was crying, like really trudging mm -hmm. out of the building because I did not have enough life forces to even get myself to even walk to the yeah. car. And I was crying to my husband, like, just so tired, like, you know, like really bawling. And yeah. so we got myself checked, blood check, urine check, everything. And of course, in the medical field, if you get yourself checked, you will find something, right? There's always something. So we did find stuff with my liver, my kidneys, like increased liver enzymes with the kidneys and with the heart. So generally, I was like, you know, unwell in the medical lens, right? For their tests and they wanted to see a specialist like, oh, if it's a heart, you have to go to a heart specialist. If it's the liver and the kidney. So I did eventually see a liver specialist who was then pushing me to see a rheumatologist because of my symptoms, because they were saying, oh, this must be an autoimmune because, you know, you're so tired and all the symptoms point out to this. Eventually, so I was lagging. I, I didn't really want to see one because I was just waiting for my body to heal. And eventually mm -hmm. I did see a rheumatologist after another month who diagnosed me because all this time I thought it was RA, rheumatoid arthritis, because mm -hmm. of my pain. But somewhere along the journey of my healing, nawala pa nga yung pain. I remember telling you, right? Yeah. The pain is gone. Like, I really felt the epicrisis, you know, in GNM terms. The pain was so intense one night. The middle of the night, like a three, four, and then suddenly gone. Wow. I finished a program. I no longer feel pain in my body, but I am tired. Yeah. And, so and that's amazing. That's super amazing. So so before we go on, Mons, I just wanted to to just clarify that that Monica has already been researching GNM and also because of awareness, she's in my GNM group and all of that. And all this time, really, she's Monica's been messaging me and asking about Germanic New Medicine concepts about where am I? And it's actually at this point where Germanic New Medicine is the most important. Because while seeing Monica right now, talking with this vitality, it's a no-no when you, if you had, had seen her in the, what you call the quote-unquote, the sick phase, it's actually the healing phase. It's when the healing symptoms come in. So fatigue sets in. It's basically the fatigue is your body is not allowing you to use it while it's doing its repairs. But it's also a very scary time for the patient, for the person 
Diba? Kasi it's like what's going on with me, my body's breaking down. But actually, in the Germanic New Medicine lens, it's very encouraging. And so this is what I was trying to, to help Monica with, is to encourage her to see her body as healing, as trying to balance, as trying to fix her bones, making it stronger, things of that nature. This is where you need to buoy the person's spirits, really buoy it. Because it's so easy to drown in self-pity and drown in fear of disease or death. And that will just be like a downhill slippery slope na from there. Right, months We were talking to me about what the doctors saw or whatever, the liver, kidney, and I would explain the biological conflict, where it's coming from, where it's possible now this is coming from this and that. And so to give it parang a biological purpose, to see it very objectively that way. And it's very fresh insights, really, because mm-hmm. to everyone else, this is where they panic. And they mm-hmm. really want you to like, oh my gosh, take something, do something, you are dying. Literally, I've had these words told to me like, mm-hmm. you're dying, Monica. Go get help. And I refuse to believe that because I have had background giving birth outside of the hospital setting. It mm-hmm. looks like destruction. The moment right before the baby comes out, mm-hmm. you really look like you're about to explode and die. So mm-hmm. I know that this is the darkest night of your life. Mm-hmm. That it is a rebirth. So yeah. funny because it was not even the lowest of low. I had pneumonia. And really, I thought I was going to die. This is yes. the truth. Yes. That's why I actually, you know, I'm the most anti-pharma person that you'll right. ever find. One of the. Me too. That's why um, I'm friends with Ellie because <laughs> I love what she stands for, right? But I'm also, you know, I've learned how to be flexible through the years. I cannot not be flexible. I live in this city now. So when I really thought I couldn't breathe for three consecutive nights, because Mm. at one point everyone got the flu here. And I guess fear struck in that Mm. I couldn't breathe. So I had pneumonia because Mm. my level of health was already impaired because of what I was going through. I was hit the most. So I had pneumonia and I didn't know, but I wasn't able to breathe for three consecutive nights, zero sleep. So after the third night, I asked my husband to drive me to the ER of the nearest hospital. And this is a miracle in itself because I would never step foot in a hospital, really. My son's C-section 16 years ago, I vowed that I would do everything like outside of the hospital Mm -hmm. setting. But for me, this was a life and death situation because I just couldn't anymore. Like, you know, I was losing, I was losing, I just couldn't think straight anymore. And so I had pneumonia and, but I treated it outside of the hospital. So we went back home and I still couldn't sleep that fourth night. And I really, you know, I prayed. I was like, you know, I just let go at that time. And miraculously, the next day I was able to sleep. I woke up and I'm like, thank God for my life. I'm alive. There's a mission. Absolutely. Yeah. And the pneumonia is a death fright conflict. So it's the healing phase of a death fright conflict that has a kidney collecting tubules, which is a KCT or what you call the syndrome. It's feeling alone and feeling scared for one's existence. 
on top of a death right conflict. So it's so actually, Mons, having you here right now, talk to us and still alive and having gone through the hardest dark night, whatever, in that form is nothing short of a miracle. It's what the medical paradigm would call, oh, spontaneous healing. But no, it's actually healing that was programmed in your DNA already as part of the sensible biological special program. But it's actually that turning point where it could actually turn for the worse. And people, just like what you were saying now, oh my God, I feel like dying, I can't breathe and all of that, it compounds. So the more you can't breathe, the more the death fright gets deeper. And then you have a KCT, you have an abandonment Mm -hmm. existence conflict with that on top of the other, like only the strong people, only the people with strong psyches will survive that, which you did. And because you armed yourself with the, the knowledge and trust in GNM in your own body, that's amazing. And I'm also glad that you went to the hospital because this is where we fix the paradigm. You use Germanic New Medicine to understand your conflicts and you know exactly when you need emergency medicine in the hospital. It's for life preservation. It's all about that. And there are things that you can't do at home for life preservation, for resuscitation. But the hospital is fully equipped for that. And that's when you go there. So if you go into an accident, you don't go to a center like mine, like biohacking recovery. You go immediately for acute care to the hospital and then you get out immediately (laughs) without staying, letting them let you stay there because they like to do that. Let you stay there for, for weeks and weeks for more tests and more medicine and whatever. Get out immediately when you're stable and then you recover in a center like mine. You can recover at home. So it's quite a miracle month that really, I don't know if you realize that, but my gosh, you just went through like your superhero transformation, you know, where it's so painful in the movies where superheroes go through this really painful transformation and then they rise above and then they're better, a better version than before. I feel like a cat, like I've lived many lifetimes <laughs> alone. I've died and rebirthed myself several times <laughs> I'm here alone and it hasn't even ended. So I still feel that I'm still running some programs. I feel like we're forever running programs anyway, just the varying degrees. Like, you know, one child of mine has a cold, the other one just ended a cough. So mm. there's always something that we have to deal with. And for me, it's all upgrades. We're all upgrading our system. Yes. I am no longer scared because that's the main thing. Once you become scared, then you feel victimized and you feel so helpless. Yes, yes. uh, On top of GNM, it really helped me create, like there's a framework here that the body is actually your ally Mm -hmm. and is always working it out for the best scenario. Like what you say, it wants you to live. So what we first see as a disease is actually just a wake-up call, you know, that your body's doing the best that it, it can for the situation at hand. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. we cannot control sometimes what has happened to us in the past or our environment, right? Mm-mm. But we can control our bodies and our psyche to help us withstand any any challenges. So that's what I'm trying to do now. It's really working on myself, strengthening myself so whatever comes my way, my vibration is high enough that I can take it. Right, yeah. Here at the beginning of the year, I made an intention that I want adaptability because we were living the idyllic, you know, paradise 
island life, but we weren't flexible. Like it was a very close and a life that wasn't really growing. Mm. Like if you took us out, we wouldn't be able to survive mm-hmm. because all we knew was island life, right? But I'm raising children in a new world. That wasn't fair to them, that that was their life forever, you know? And maybe that decision was a decision my husband and I made, but for ourselves, not for our children. They, they We have to raise them that they're going to make decisions for themselves. So we have to raise them, equip them for the world, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why we chose to bring them out. And I feel like even if we feel like we're fish out of water, you know, we're strengthening Mm-mm. for for this life for being able to adapt to any environment yeah. and yeah I'm doing all that I can with all the tools available to us and I feel like your biohacking center has so much to offer you know not everyone has access to nature in the city right and you have the tools that you know we're beyond also our bodies so yeah I, I feel like this is a school. You can learn so many things from the center alone. And from you, <laughs> I learned so much. I have a child who is consolated, who is on the spectrum. And that that was my entry point to everything else. Mm-hmm. Yes, my guru, right? Without, if not being a mom to a constellated child, I would have never mm-hmm. gone the path. Yeah. And that's very big of you to realize that. I remember watching your stories, building this beautiful idyllic house with this fantastic bathtub and everybody here in Manila was like wishing, I wish I I was brave enough to do that. I wish I had the resources and cooperation from my husband to build a house like that for my children, to be near the ocean and the sea breeze and all of that. But then to be big enough to realize that maybe it's not idyllic for my kids. It is for me and my husband, but maybe not for raising kids. It's, it's such a, it's so big of you to decide and look at it from the perspective of your kids. And you know, the, what comes to mind is this movie called Captain Fantastic. It had the same thing. Like he raised his children with um, learning seven new languages and they had the intelligence of, a co- of college level already when they were still before, they hadn't even hit puberty yet. They knew the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and they could regurgitate it and formulate their own opinions about everything. So they were so intellectually independent and smart. But then they didn't have street smarts. They only had forest smarts. They could climb mountains and they could forage and they they were very athletic, but they didn't have city smarts. They didn't have world smarts. And so you're right. Having a balance between the two is equipping them for the real world. Yeah. yeah. So this is a new phase, a new chapter in our lives, which I hope Mm-mm. makes them become more whole. Because that's yeah. our aim, right? Be more whole. They already had like six, seven years on the island. So I feel like that ends a chapter. <laughs> and then, you know, maybe another seven years to learn new things, new skills. And then it's up to them eventually what they want to do with their lives. We're just guiding them, right? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I love that movie, Captain Fantastic. Yeah, really. I do too. I mean, I, I watch it all the time and I'm like, this is what we want for the future, actually. Because everything else is so broken. But, you know, he tried to fix it. It wasn't perfect, but he was able to be flexible enough to consider other factors that might make their children whole. Like you said, Mons, is to make them whole. And I, I know that it's such a, a hard decision, but then for you to decide for your child who is constellated and on the spectrum 
to decide to give him more options because I believe you said Manila had more available modalities that might be able to help him. And of course, I was also there. I wanted to also give him some of the biohacking modalities as well, just to help him balance. Well, for me, you know, nature is really healing. And for anyone, if you get that, if you can, in the first seven years. So I actually really insisted on doing that because I had small children. I was pregnant when we moved to El Nido. And then, um, you know, they were finally old enough when we moved out. But I also noticed that my son had special needs. He was not thriving in mm -hmm the island because you really need a village and I wasn't getting that village for I wasn't getting the support that I needed and you really need you know people who understand you to be inclusive right so you yeah. find your tribe you find that people that will help your children nourish the skills that they need right right or like we're not going to be here forever but that your children will out hopefully outgrow you right yeah parents do what they can and I love it in the GNM lens, the biological male and female, when I found out mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. when men and women um, procreate, it's all about the children now. Say that, I was like, wow, this just fortifies my whole life because I feel like everything I do, it's not for me, it's for my children. It makes such a difference. Difference. Yeah. And actually, nature heals your, I uh, know, biologically, nature will heal all of your conflicts with your parents when you find uh, the, the perfect biological partner. So the masculine and you're the biological feminine, you will heal each other's conflicts with parents. And then when you have a child, the child also heals other conflicts more. Pa. And then it becomes all about the child until you reach menopause. So menopause allows you to, to live for yourself, no longer for your child. because And that's why there's menopause. The hormones stop because those are mother hormones, really. It gives you extra uh, energy to take care and rear your offspring. But when your offspring are already pretty much old now because you're 50 and they're older, they have their own lives, they might be married with their own kids, then nature says, okay, let's stop your hormones. Now you live for yourself. Now we only have enough gas for you. So you better focus on yourself now. So nature is so amazing that way, Deva. It's so wise. I, I love it. GNM is, it's just, for me, all roads lead to GNM. Yeah. I find that all the people that I've been following, you know, who mm. was afraid of every toxin on, available on our planet, Mm -hmm. is now gearing up towards GNM. Yeah, really. Yeah. And it's good because there's been an explosion the last year. Yeah, it is the next biohacking level. It really is because it's, you know, always universal truth. Like 100% law applies, right? Nature, yeah. So, Nature is life, yeah. Yeah. So I love it's, it that you've been, you've been studying GNM. And actually, I feel that your awareness of GNM is pretty deep for you to recognize that pregnancy is, in fact, a, an SBS. It, it really makes sense. So what you were saying that you burst, you know, the birth is the burst. The, the birth is actually the epicrisis in the special biological program of pregnancy. The conflict active phase is when you get pregnant, you're growing a literal tumor. So what is a tumor definition except the proliferation of cells like mitosis? It's a dividing and, and a multiplication of cells. You're, so you're growing literally a tumor. And then when you get to the healing phase, which is a, around the, the third trimester, 
you go into an epicrisis, which is the burst, where there's like this big burst of energy to push out all the water and push out all the uh, everything so the body collects resources so that it can push out stuff. You push out the baby, and then after the baby is out, you go to the second healing phase, scarification, and all, and then normatonia. So it's perfect. Yeah, this level of awareness that you have that's very deep, you research a lot, has helped you in this journey. And I think that we innately, you know, we have this wisdom. It's just that we forget. And, you know, the media and all the people around us may influence us otherwise. So it's important to have your own, you know, inner journey and to have your intuition and listen to your bodies. Because once panic strikes, voila, that's that's the way out already. So for me, when I was guiding women in their pregnancies before to have the birth of their dreams, it's really to trust, to have this trust in our bodies and your biology because the body knows what it needs to do, right? Yes. So in my healing journey now, I do trust the body. I assist it. So yes. I'm not doing any, I, I don't want to do anything to change the course of healing because I know the body is leading, but I assist and I increase the frequency to help the body. There, there's a lot available really out here and especially in the city where people are like there's, there's so many healers. There's so many people who also represent, you know, good things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, good products that can help aid the healing process. Yes. Because we're all energy. You know, everything is energy. Yeah. So, so when I was in on, on the island, you know, I really resorted to nature on my nature walks and everything in the city. Not so much. I live in a building, but <laughs> I do I do meditate now. You know, I didn't meditate before, but now <laughs> I do times twice a day. I need it. I go beyond the body and into the mind and really mm. try to go into the you know, quantum field and really try to do what I can. But yeah, this has been nothing short of cathartic for me. I feel like this year has been a fast course to ego death. Yeah. The really limiting self-belief systems because I, when things don't go your way, it's really for me a blessing in disguise. I only felt self-pity, I think, for a few days, mm-hmm. you know, um, You can't help it but doubt and feel bad for your situation, especially because I'm a yoga teacher and suddenly I couldn't move, you know, I was bedridden. And I was even on a wheelchair at one point because my vital forces were so low. I couldn't stand. I had to wait for our helper or my husband to lift me up from the bed or from the toilet. Imagine. And then, yeah, for like a month, I think I was like that or a month and a half. I remember trying to manage your psyche that time because the wheelchair can trigger more of a self-devaluation and it may become a track in itself and then it may lead you to believe that you will forever be in it and it's possible you you can, which is the case with MS patients when they get a diagnosis and they're told that, oh, you'll be in a wheelchair for life, you can't walk for life. They believe it and it becomes true. So I remember I had to manage your psyche when it came to that to see that it's a temporary tool while your body, your bones get stronger for you. So just look at it as that. It's helping you 
but it's not there forever. Yes, because some people, yeah, like what you say, it become it becomes like a crutch. No, they can't anymore mm-hmm. exist without. And also with the diagnosis, I didn't even associate. Like yeah. the moment the doctor said, "Oh, you're if you don't take these meds, you're gonna get progressively worse." When she was saying these words, it's like a curse, and mm-hmm. I had to like block it yes. with my powers and my mind. And I said, "No." What you're saying is not true. I don't believe and I won't accept and I'm not surrendering to that diagnosis because I know that it's not true. I know that I can get better without these meds. It's not the only way to heal. I know for some people, they probably need it because their mind believes it. So you are the placebo, right? I believe in that so much. Yeah. So I really work hard because I miss holistic. I want to do everything outside that paradigm into this new paradigm that healing can happen in your own terms. Yeah. And then we call that iatrogenic. No. So 80%, maybe, I'm not sure, but a very high percentage of quote unquote diseases happen because the doctor says it is so. The doctor says, oh, it, this is, looks grave. This looks bad. You're not going to be able to walk. If you don't do this, you're going to die. If you don't get chemo and you, you'll be in a wheelchair forever, it's iatrogenic. So the patient listens to it, believes it to be true because their doctor told them that it's true with so much conviction. And then it becomes psychosomatic. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is bad. And that was what I was trying to manage with Mons is to, let's say, to give options. So let's say that the rheumatologist said you have MS. Okay, so manage it, MS. It's not true that you're never going to walk, that you're going to be in a wheelchair forever if they say MS. But I was so relieved when she said it was myositis because myositis is lighter. Because you don't know kasi when the psyche will pick it up or not. But you know Germanic new medicine so well. But when a conflict comes, by very definition, a conflict shock is a shock. It's acute, unexpected, and it goes beneath your awareness and you feel isolated. So that nanosecond can already trigger the conflict immediately. So even if, I, if I'm coaching you and telling you, I was still so relieved when it was myositis because it's a lighter diagnosis. So, it, so the chances of it being iatrogenic is much, much lower, which it was, right? Because you don't know kasi how this, your psyche will interpret it. And I think exactly. also once you so ask somebody, I... uh, myositis lang yan. Some, another doctor said, oh, myositis lang yan. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, another doctor said, just heal your gut. So these were encouraging words also from other people. And when you have people lifting you up, really, mm-hmm. entrainment, you know, you, you listen to that. You They have higher frequency. So of course, I also, it matters where I rest my mind and my my energy because we're frequency where we are energy so i really have to lift myself every day yeah. because the peace and death happens at 25 megahertz okay we mm-hmm. all carry frequency in our bodies and uh, a normal body will have like 60 at that range mm-hmm. and you want to go high and not go low so all the things that you do you know, is it giving you joy or a shock mm-hmm. can really pull you down? I feel a trauma. Mm-mm. So I, I feel that needs to heal you really has to pull you really high so that you get back on track. 
Yes, yes. And also what Germanic New Medicine does is it makes you very proactive because of this high level of awareness. You can't, you can't avoid it when a shock happens. Like, let's say, God forbid, you know, like an accident happens in front of your eyes or you lose your pet or, or something, a b great big shock. But because of you have this level of awareness, you, down, you can downgrade the shock immediately as it happens. And this is what I provide in my group on FB are things like the whole brain posture from Psyche, where something happens, you become whole brain agad. Because if you know Germanic New Medicine, we look at the right and, and left hemispheres of the brain. And in Psyche, when you become whole brain, you balance both hemispheres, you help to downgrade it. And what that means is when you downgrade the shock, you also downgrade the possible healing phase. So the healing phase is, is where it, the severe symptoms happen. And a lot of people can pass because of the severe healing phase. Now, a heart attack is a healing phase. Pulmonary embolism is a healing phase. So when you downgrade the conflict load with these tools, like what Monica was using is, is meditation. You can use emotional freedom technique. You can use the whole brain posture of Psyche. You can use heart math breathing is to equip your nervous system with these tools so that if a shock hits you, it doesn't hit deep, you know? And this is what I'd like to teach in all schools for kids to have these tools so that they come out with less conflicts, less consolations. Now, I'm not saying because all conflicts and consolations are bad because they're actually the pathway to our higher evolution. They're the only way that our organs can evolve to stronger and better, just like what you um, experienced with yourself, Mons, when you had the bone resolution program, Deva, that you found that your bones became unbreakable. Although it was yeah. so painful in the repair phase, the fatigue, and it's like so painful, but they are now stronger than everybody else's on the planet. Only a program can do that. Only a, an SBS can do that. I failed to mention that within my healing journey, I felt twice within a month. So one on the street along Maginhawa after dinner, and once when my husband went back on the island and my mom was here, I felt like getting to the bathroom and I really like fell hard yeah. and I also hurt my whole spine. So I was rushed again to the ER on a stretcher because I knew this was an emergency. I have to check if I have any broken bones. Yeah. Um, there was none, not even a line fracture. Wow. And it caused, because all this while I knew that my bones were strengthening, even because it hurts, right? It hurts when you're being put back together. Yeah, looks like destruction. So it's 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 really that, and yeah, I embrace it now. I know I I'm no longer panicking. I know that my body is wise, but of course there are things and tools that I do to make it more smooth. But mm -mm. I'm not, you know, I know that I'll do the most natural uh, way always. Yes. Yeah. So um, I just have to mention that I'm a yoga teacher, right? And then I couldn't move. So I was crying to my husband at one time because I was complaining to him that I can't even do what I teach my students. So I'm even more beginner or more basic than, than that. And I can't even move. So I had to go to the mind. I had to meditate because that was the next, that was the only available thing to me was to meditate and to breathe. Because yeah. movement not even available. So it's funny how the the world, the irony, but it's really like, you know, you laugh about it in the end because that's where I needed to go. It's yeah. really like my journey. It's so for me, wow, it's so deep. 
Yeah, it is. And uh, no, I know, I remember during this time, I was always coaching you and, and reminding you that your bones are strengthening. That's why they hurt because there's a liquid that passes through. So the body always heals in a liquid environment and there's liquid that passes through the bones and they have to stretch while it's repairing the cells. And during this stretching, that's where it hurts like crazy. We always have to remind people that when your back aches or when your joints ache, know that it's because the healing phase is kicking in. So a lot of my, some of my clients say, oh, you know what? My back is hurting more now after coming to your center. And I always say, well, what happened right before? Who made you feel less than? Who increased your self-devaluation conflict? More often than not, it's really because there's someone who made them feel lower or they had stories weaving in their heads that I feel less than. So the bones and the joints are a self-devaluation conflict. And Lalana, like you, Mons, when you said that, Oh my gosh, I'm a yoga teacher and I'm now a beginner. That's a core personality self-devaluation that can land on the spine or on the lower back because it's who I am. And because you had tools and this great level of awareness with GNM, you didn't let that uh, become a track on its own. Because it can be a vicious cycle, eh? you, you can embed the conflict deeper and then the healing phase has to get deeper, which will deepen the pain and it will make you more of a beginner. And then it goes around and around and around in circles until it becomes a hanging healing and then you can't get out of it. But the fact that you went to the level of the mind or the psyche, which is where the conflicts happen anyway, at that level, you were able to overturn it. So you're able to make the decision to become your own healing. You are the placebo. So that, that is what I would like to impart to people who have these chronic pains for years and years and years. In GNM, there's no such thing as chronic, no such thing. There's no such thing as autoimmune. There is only a relapsing of the same conflict and the healing phase comes always. So if you never get conflict active, then you don't have to go into the healing phase. So what I always coach my, my patients, my clients, my friends, is find out what the original conflict is, reframe it, or do what you can to remove it. And then the healing phase never has to kick in and your organs are quiet. So bravo, Mons, for doing that. Our cells keep listening to our thoughts. Lang talaga. Yes. Yes. We are embodied emotions. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm so glad I was able to make it to your biohacking center. I walked up your steps. Yes, you know, yes, you inviting me back. And I'm like, I can't even walk stairs. I remember. And mm. I finally did it. I was like, wow, for me, it's such yeah. a big thing. Because, you know, after you take things for granted, like yes. walking and climbing stairs. Wow, that was unavailable to me. And I now I feel like, wow, I can do it. It's so empowering. Yeah. What the body and the mind can do. Grabe. I mean, my gosh, so many people will find inspiration listening to this month that everything that you need is right here inside because that's where the level where it started. So you find it at the root cause. So, and that's why in GNM, it's really about causal therapy that you you get it you you nip it at the at the root where it came from and then you reframe that and there have been thousands of 
resolutions with Dr. Hammer, doing it that way, reframing it. But, you know, he was such an expert at it to, to look at it in, uh, differently. But for us, like we, we use meditation, we use energy medicine and all of that. I've had so many successes using these, but it's not being endorsed by GNM. So I just want to put it out there that GNM, GHK does not endorse the, the energy medicine or other therapies. It's usually causal therapy, but we use causal therapy when we can. Because it's eh? in seconds. It's like, oh, okay, you, you kicked into resolution, then wala na. Like what I did with my first podcast about my severe lower back pain that was on the SI joint on the left side, partner side. It resolved as soon as I knew what the original conflict was. And on the spot, done, no more back pain. So I want to empower everybody, especially our children, with this kind of power, self-power. Yeah, that's so true. Actually, if because there's so much nuances and gray areas, I feel there's so many colors to it. Like it yes. rain, there's gradients. So you can't really sometimes pinpoint the exact thing. You really have to ponder. But for easier cases, like when my son had a diaper rash, I knew that mm -hmm. I raised my voice to him because of something earlier that day and also my husband. So I knew the conflict was that, mm -hmm. that he felt, oh, my, my parents are angry towards me and I want to be near them. And he's, you know, he was two. He, he's still, he's two old now. Mm -hmm. And so the moment I knew that because of the GNM framework, I really caressed his back. I told him I love them. Oh, he was one then because I was still breastfeeding. I nursed him. And I kid you not, the diaper rash was gone within minutes. I watched wow. it disappear. Wow. And usually the diaper rash would last days. And this is like the miraculous thing about like what you say, it could be instant if you know the exact conflict. It's power. So oh my gosh. It is. There are some easier cases, I feel. But there are more difficult shades. Yes. Uh -huh. You know, deeper healing. Yeah. Um, ponderings upon. So, yeah. you know, still meditating. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. there's still a lot to resolve. I feel we're always a work in progress. But, you know, it's life is a journey and it's a colorful mm -hmm. one. Exactly. I love that. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah. It's really yeah. our annoyance, um, self-mastery. And, and, you know, we always knew that the body heals itself. Like in biohacking, pure biohacking, we know the body heals itself. We don't like pharma and all of that. But GNM gives you like the exact manual to the biology. What is happening? You know, is, and so knowing this, knowledge actually gives you so much power, but also a lot of responsibility. Because, you know, for us, for example, we know that if somebody had a territorial loss, we know that the healing phase if more than nine months will result in a heart attack, you know, but it's we, we have to look at these things, there's responsibility. But for like what you said, most for the smaller things, you can start practicing already. And what I love about Germanic New Medicine and how I feel it was it will change the world is it will make us conscious human beings, conscious individuals. So conscious parenting. So since I work with with families on biological relationships coach whenever I have I have a practice with kids with needs when I look at a kid a child with needs like ADHD or autism I don't look at the child I look at the parents I look at the, the house 
what's going on? How is the noise level? Is, why is the child scared? What is keeping him scared in the house? Is it, does he have subconscious distress with the, with the people who are supposed to care for him? Was he shouted at? Was he hurt in school? Was he bullied by a teacher? Was he humiliated? I look at those things because those are the factors that can trigger a conflict in the child, which may result in a change in behavior or a constellation. So we always look at that. And Germanic New Medicine gives us the manual. What I'm seeing is that I'm working a lot with the parents of the kids with needs and it's therapy for them because they're changing their ways and their behaviors as well. So it becomes a holding, a co-holding, which is so beautiful to watch when, when harmony is restored at home and everyone feels safe to be who exactly they are and to become who they're meant to be because it's safe to do so and they're seen and loved and allowed and accepted. So the Germanic New Medicine provides the cellular framework for this to happen and to fill the world with hashtag better humans. I always use that. So th this is my goal. And once, I mean, with your real life experience, you can actually teach so many people by becoming the example to follow. Thank you so much. Without your guidance, I wouldn't know. I'd be more panicky maybe, but you know, Ellie has been <laughs> such an anchor throughout all these years because you know, uh, we do follow the same principle yes. and you've always spearheaded the way into biohacking our lives for the better. So I've learned so much from you. Thank you so much oh, for leaving the way for my family. It's really so such a blessing. I feel like when you heal one, you yeah. heal the whole. Getting goosebumps. You're we you're welcome. I I love it. I think it's so worth it. This is the work that will change the world. Oh, you know, one family at a time. You're welcome. Yeah. One baby at a time. That's what we say for for births. Exactly. It's one baby at a time to change the world. It really um we're all connected. So that's the work. Absolutely. Keep Thank you, thank so, you much. so much, Ellie. I hope you're welcome our podcast coming this way i'd love to hear all the stories oh yeah so once one final question so if you were to have a magic wand and this magic wand created the world that you want to see what will that world look like the world would not be perfect or else that would be so boring <laughs> yes but i would love to see more people empowered towards the tipping point wherein we really feel more balanced planet, where we feel empowered by our choices and not so much victimized by systems because we all have that inner power really to topple these systems over. But, you know, the inner work must be done. So I feel like, you know, strengthened psyche. I feel like GNM is one powerful tool that's gaining more momentum these days. So in the field of health and wellness, we're getting there slowly. I feel like all the trials that humanity is going through needs to reach that tipping point where we feel we go through it and then we live through it, you know. To find, to find meaning and purpose in our lives. So I'm excited to be living in our time, actually. It's yes. very thing because we're so strong. We're so resilient yeah. that everything is happening and yet we're still alive. We are here. So we're really creating better humans to adapt to any and 
it's it's an exciting time. Thank you so much. Well said. I love that vision, and I and I truly believe that you were given a second lease of life. Actually, not 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 that you were given. You work for it, Deba. You created this lease on life. You created this program of I'm going to rise above this and I'm going to be better for it. And I think it's because you have a bigger purpose and that's to really spread the word and to help people and to for people to emulate you and to follow your example that not to give up that when you think you're going to die, trust the body, trust the process, do what you can, get people to support you you are not alone and that you can become better in spite of it. So you have bigger things your way, Moz. I mean, you you were meant to come into this timeline to incarnate with us being teammates, being tribe mates, because you have so much ahead of you to help the world. Thanks, Ellie. And same back to you. I, I love the work that you do and the light that you shed to the world. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Mon. So we'll put information on the show notes on your next teaching gigs, right? Okay, we'll do. I teach breath work and meditation now because that's my practice. And I'll be updating you on our next classes here in the city and out of town with Floretry. Great. Okay. So we're going to include that in the show notes, everybody go check out Mons, pick her brain and ask her anything. And just when you look at her, she's a miracle of life. Amazing. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks, Mons. Bye. As an adjunct to this episode, I'd like to talk about some SBSs or Senseful Biological Special Programs. All of this information can be found on the website learninggnm.com. Monica talked about pneumonia, which is actually the healing phase of the death fright conflict with a syndrome or kidney collecting tubules, SBS. Let me dissect each one. A death fright conflict can manifest in various life-threatening situations, such as accidents or medical emergencies. However, the most prevalent occurrence of a death fright conflict is often triggered by a diagnosis shock especially when someone receives a cancer diagnosis that feels like a death sentence. When a physician delivers statements like, the cancer is malignant, inoperable, aggressive, invasive, metastasizing, or phrases such as, you have six months to live, and similar judgment, it can evoke an immediate sense of fear and impending doom. The same applies to receiving negative prognoses and test results from medical examinations, such as pap tests, PSA tests, mammograms, colonoscopies, blood tests. We must also consider the potential for self-diagnosis shocks, which can occur when individuals detect concerning symptoms like finding a lump in the breast or noticing blood in stool, urine, or vaginal discharge, or experiencing other symptoms associated with a fear of having cancer, often seen as a deadly disease. Additionally, seeking information about specific symptoms on the internet where numerous websites emphasize the concept of malignant diseases can easily trigger a death fright conflict. 50% of people who are diagnosed with lung cancer don't even smoke, and those who do believe that cigarettes will kill them and thus trigger the death fright conflict in the lungs. Can you now see the real connection between cigarettes and lung cancer? What we should say is that they don't cause lung cancer and just see how lung cancer rates will drop. 
After the conflict resolution in the healing phase, fungi or mycobacteria such as TB bacteria eliminate unnecessary cells. Common healing symptoms include coughing up milky or rusty colored phlegm, which may contain traces of blood. Due to the presence of pus, these symptoms might be diagnosed as purulent pneumonia or a lung infection. Another characteristic healing symptom is night sweats. When fungi contribute to the healing process, it can lead to lung candidiasis or what is known as a pulmonary fungal infection. A word of caution, during the healing phase, lung tissue becomes exceptionally delicate. Any abrupt or forceful movement could result in lung rupture, leading to acute bleeding. The sputum excreted during tuberculosis contains a high protein content. If the healing phase is prolonged and intense, protein deficiency could become life-threatening. It's essential to note that death is not caused by TB infection itself, but rather by protein depletion. In the past, tuberculosis was often referred to as consumption due to this reason. A prime example of this occurred during the 1918 lung tuberculosis epidemic, which followed the resolution of death right conflicts that many had experienced during the four years of war. The end of the war triggered a mass healing phase, resulting in two pandemics. Look up Spanish flu on the website. The subsequent worldwide economic crises and extreme poverty led to inadequate nutrition for those suffering from tuberculosis. Only those who could afford proper nourishment could survive, while the less fortunate had limited chances. Historical accounts of tuberculosis epidemics often credit improved social and sanitary conditions for its disappearance. However, the reality is that it was the availability of adequate nutrition that made the difference. The complete eradication of tuberculosis occurred only when TB bacteria were effectively eliminated through the widespread use of anti-TB antibiotics introduced in 1944. In the late 19th century, before the advent of antibiotics, tuberculosis sanatoria provided those who could afford it with nourishing food and enforced rest, creating an ideal environment for supporting the healing process. In the past, the condition characterized by coughing up blood was correctly identified as lung tuberculosis. Today, this condition is labeled as lung cancer, similar to how liver tuberculosis was renamed liver cancer and kidney tuberculosis became nephrotic syndrome. The reclassification of this disease is a primary reason for the significant increase in reported cases of lung cancer. Meanwhile, tuberculosis seemed to disappear, particularly in the Western world, where the apparent eradication of lung tuberculosis is often attributed to the success of widespread antibiotic regimens and vaccination efforts, notably the BCG vaccine, first introduced in 1921, gained widespread use after the Second World War. In the developing world, tuberculosis is now often associated with AIDS. Pneumonia is the healing phase accompanied by the syndrome, which can exacerbate healing phases with what you might call deeper inflammatory symptoms. KCT, or kidney-collecting tubules, known as the syndrome, 
This sensible biological special program can occur concurrently with other biological programs and contribute to more swelling, more severe healing phases, more severity or difficulty in symptoms. The biological conflict associated with the kidney-collecting tubules can be traced back to an era when life predominantly thrived in oceanic environments. The transition from the watery realm to the terra firma presented a perilous situation. This primal challenge also resonates deeply with human existence, as water constitutes the original habitat for all living organisms. In our human experience, we encounter this conflict as a sensation of being like a fish out of water when we undergo abrupt removal from our familiar surroundings or when we find ourselves separated from our closely knit social groups. In the context of Germanic New Medicine, we label this conflict linked to the kidney-collecting tubules as an abandonment conflict, existence conflict, refugee conflict, or hospitalization conflict, or a combination of all of the above. Abandonment conflicts stem from emotions of being ousted, excluded, unwanted, rejected, misunderstood, ignored, left out, isolated, or alone. Children may grapple with this conflict when they are placed in daycare, feel unloved or excluded within social circles, at home, on the playground, in kindergarten, or at school. When their parents allocate insufficient time to them, when a new sibling garners more attention, when a grandparent passes away, or when a family member departs. It's the loss of a sense of security and emotional refuge that engenders profound isolation. The same sense of abandonment can be experienced by the elderly when they find themselves in nursing facilities distant from their homes and families. Newborns are similarly vulnerable, so separation from their mother at birth for any reason can trigger a severe abandonment conflict. Even pets undergo considerable distress when left behind. An existence conflict is essentially a fear for one's life, akin to a fish out of water on the brink of survival. This fear often arises in response to a cancer diagnosis or a negative prognosis that leads one to believe their life is in imminent peril, similar to the death fright conflict related to the lungs. Situations such as waiting in an emergency room, being transported in an ambulance, undergoing medical treatments like chemotherapy or surgery, feeling uncared for or lacking support from medical professionals or relatives can also evoke both existence and abandonment conflicts. The mere anticipation of hospitalization might already activate this conflict. An existence conflict also extends to one's livelihood, marked by the sensation of having lost everything. This could involve job loss, financial setbacks, loss of a home, or the absence of someone who provided economic or emotional security. A refugee conflict is akin to the feeling of being cast into the desert, uprooted, or in exile. This can result from an unexpected relocation or forced displacement from one's home or homeland. Even travel away from a familiar home or loved ones can provoke this conflict. Individuals who travel by air are particularly susceptible to experiencing refugee conflicts. Additionally, discomfort while flying or the fear of flying may trigger an existence conflict. 
Hospitalization conflict happens when one is always in the hospital and they feel abandoned, they feel their existence is in danger, and they feel they will never go back home. Self-devaluation. The biological conflict associated with the bones and joints revolves around a profound sense of self-devaluation or a loss of self-worth. This conflict impacts not only the bones and joints themselves, but also the cartilage, tendons, ligaments, as well as the lymphatic system and blood vessels, albeit to a lesser extent. Following an evolutionary perspective, self-devaluation conflicts represent the predominant theme for cerebral medulla-controlled organs that originate from the new mesoderm layer. A generalized self-devaluation conflict encompasses a person's overall sense of self-worth. It can manifest through experiences like humiliation, including accusations, scolding, and derogatory remarks, abuse, whether physical, sexual, or verbal, instances of failure, be it at work, school, in sports, relationships, parenting, or partnerships underperformance in intellectual, artistic, or athletic pursuits, or feelings of shame and guilt. Various scenarios such as a loss of status, employment, retirement, illness, injuries, I am incapacitated, aging, I'm not as good as I used to be, I'm becoming old and useless, or the absence of someone who made one feel valued and needed can trigger this type of conflict. The language we use to describe ourselves or our self-perception, I am a failure, I will never succeed, can create a predisposition for generalized self-devaluation conflicts. Children and the elderly are particularly susceptible to experiencing such conflicts. A localized self-devaluation conflict pertains to a specific area of the body. For instance, a poor performance in art or athletics corresponds to the hands or legs. A self-devaluation conflict stemming from a cancer diagnosis, such as colon cancer, prostate cancer, or breast cancer. A negative prognosis, you won't be able to walk again. The surgical removal of an organ like a mastectomy or persistent localized pain is linked to the nearest bone or joint. In comparison, a moderate self-devaluation conflict typically involves the closest lymph node or muscle. The side of the body, right, left, or both, where the conflict affects a bone or joint is determined by an individual's handedness and whether the conflict is related to the mother or child dynamic or a partner relationship. A localized conflict impacts the bone or joint associated with a specific self-devaluation conflict. Each part of the skeletal system has its unique conflict content. In the ribs and sternum, a self-devaluation conflict can be triggered by events such as a breast cancer diagnosis, a mastectomy, or a heart condition. Thoracic and lumbar spine, a central self-devaluation conflict that profoundly affects one's sense of self-worth, often arising from humiliating and degrading treatment. The lower back is also associated with feelings of being unsupported or not backed up by a family member, a partner, friend, teacher, colleague, or employer. A cancer diagnosis affecting the thorax, like lung cancer, or the lumbar spine, including prostate cancer, kidney cancer, or colon cancer, 
or persistent pain, such as abdominal or menstrual pain, can impact the nearest vertebrae. Pelvis and pubic bone, a sexual self-devaluation conflict, which can be triggered by experiences like sexual abuse, erectile dysfunction, not meeting expected sexual performance standards, discovering a partner's affair, sexual rejection, feelings of devaluation below the waist, fertility issues such as not getting pregnant or experiencing miscarriages, undergoing a hysterectomy, receiving a prostate cancer diagnosis, prostate surgery, or experiencing urinary incontinence. In the hip and femoral neck, a conflict stemming from the inability to cope with unexpected or sustained demands. This is too much to bear. I can't handle this. I can't get through this. The femur is linked to a physical performance conflict. Knees and lower legs, a conflict related to physical performance, such as difficulties walking, climbing stairs, keeping up with others, experiencing a poor performance in sports, like losing a game, being placed on the reserve bench, receiving humiliating remarks from an instructor, not meeting personal or coach, parent or spouse expectations, feeling less mobile during pregnancy or due to weight gain, Feet, ankles, heels, and toes, a conflict centered on the inability to walk, run, jump, dance, balance, or defend oneself by kicking someone away. The underside of the heel is associated with the inability to crush a person or a situation. During the conflict active phase, the affected bone undergoes decalcification, resulting in gaps and small holes in the bone structure. The precise location of this bone breakdown or osteolysis is determined by the specific type and intensity of the self-devaluation conflict. The decalcification of the bone leads to elevated serum calcium levels similar to hypercalcemia related to the parathyroid glands. The loss of bone marrow that occurs alongside bone osteolysis can alter blood parameters. When a bone heals, swelling expands the periosteal layer covering the bone. This stretching of the periosteum causes significant bone pain because it is rich in sensitive nerves. The pain is akin to rheumatic pain involving the upper layer of the periosteum and is reminiscent of the discomfort experienced during the conflict active phase of a severe separation conflict. It is often colloquially referred to as rheumatoid arthritis, distinct from acute joint rheumatism. Water retention can exacerbate this pain. In GNM, we refer to the combination of these two sensible biological special programs as bone syndrome. Moreover, when the periosteum lifts from the bone due to swelling, the bone loses its support and becomes more susceptible to fractures. However, unless bone osteolysis is severe, there is generally no immediate risk of fracture during the conflict active phase because the periosteum still tightly covers the bone. Bone pain serves as a necessary aspect of the healing process, encouraging individuals to rest and prevent spontaneous fractures, such as those in the femoral neck. In cases involving the spine, Dr. Hummer strongly advises patients to remain in bed to avoid stress on the spine and the potential for a vertebral fracture leading to paraplegia. 
The pain associated with healing bones can persist for several months and even longer if conflict relapses occur. Being prepared for this pain can make it more manageable. Recognizing that this pain is a sign of healing can also prevent new self-devaluation conflicts triggered by the pain itself. Rheumatism. Arthritis refers to the healing process of a joint such as the hip, knee, shoulder, elbow, or finger, accompanied by inflammation. What is commonly referred to as acute joint rheumatism occurs when the fluid from the edema, typically in larger joints like the knee or shoulder, penetrates the cartilage, leading to a transudative effusion. This often occurs in conjunction with water retention due to the syndrome, and conflict relapses can exacerbate the swelling. Consequently, the affected joint becomes red, warm to the touch, and swollen. In cases where such a swollen joint is punctured for exploratory purposes, it can inadvertently result in the formation of a sizable osteosarcoma. Swelling outside the periosteum can also happen when the fluid from a bone edema breaches the membrane of the periosteum. When this occurs in the groin or the top of the femur area, it is frequently misdiagnosed as a thrombosis. MS or multiple sclerosis. Muscle weakness and a loss of sensation in the feet, legs, or arms are often among the initial symptoms associated with multiple sclerosis. Dr. Hummer points out a significant concern. The major danger lies in the patient experiencing a motor conflict due to the shock of the diagnosis, as they are informed that they may spend the rest of their life in a wheelchair. For individuals without knowledge of Germanic new medicine, receiving a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis can induce profound panic. This same sense of fear also applies to those diagnosed with ALS. The overwhelming fear of losing mobility, facing the prospect of being unable to walk and relying on a wheelchair, feeling stuck, often supersedes the significance of the original motor conflict that triggered the initial symptoms. As paralysis progresses, muscle atrophy advances, leading to clumsiness, difficulties with walking, and frequent falls. This progression activates additional motor and self-devaluation conflicts, further impairing mobility and turning the initial prognosis into a self-fulfilling prophecy. The belief that MS, ALS, or Parkinson's are hereditary diseases makes individuals with affected family members more susceptible to experiencing a motor conflict, as conflicts can also be experienced alongside someone else's condition. Subsequent symptoms swiftly lead to the same diagnosis. In conventional medicine, it is postulated that multiple sclerosis results from a degradation of the myelin sheath, often deduced from MRI brain images. The myelin sheath is a protective layer surrounding nerves, including those in the brain and spinal cord. This myelin destruction is believed to be an autoimmune response where the immune system mistakenly attacks and destroys the myelin sheath covering motor neurons in the brain. However, both the immune system theory and the concept of autoimmune disorders causing harm to healthy body tissues lack a solid scientific foundation. The assertion that MS results from the destruction of the myelin sheath is, therefore, 
subject to considerable doubt. Liver SBS Starvation Conflict The biological conflict associated with a liver parenchyma is a morsel conflict, often described as a starvation conflict. In line with evolutionary reasoning, morsel conflicts represent the primary conflict theme linked to organs controlled by the brainstem originating from the endoderm. A person may experience a genuine starvation conflict due to a lack of food. This can manifest when someone is placed on a strict diet, denied their favorite foods, receives a colon cancer diagnosis affecting the ability to receive nutrients through the intestine, uses a colostomy bag, suffers from ongoing diarrhea, loses their appetite, experiences excessive vomiting during chemotherapy treatments, or undergoes unintentional weight loss. However, a threat of starvation can also arise unexpectedly when an individual finds themselves unable to make ends meet. This situation may result from job loss, salary reductions, business closure, bankruptcy, loss of clients, unforeseen rent increases, financially devastating divorces, property seizures, loss of savings, financial debts, the death of a family member who provided financial support, or fake pandemics that cause quarantine lockdowns. In essence, this conflict reflects the distress associated with running out of resources to provide for oneself and those for whom one feels responsible. In the healing phase following the resolution of the conflict, fungi or mycobacteria like TB bacteria assist in removing unnecessary cells. Healing symptoms often include liver swelling, resulting in pain and night sweats. During this phase, liver blood parameters typically return to the normal range. A liver abscess refers to a liver nodule filled with pus. In the context of Germanic New Medicine, what is commonly referred to as a fatty liver actually signifies the presence of fat deposits in the healing liver. Liver tuberculosis, indicative of TB bacteria activity, is more prevalent in regions experiencing famine, such as in Africa. Medical historians have long observed the connection between tuberculosis and poverty. In the Western world, where tuberculosis is believed to be eradicated, liver tuberculosis is now diagnosed as liver cancer. See also the renaming of lung tuberculosis to lung cancer and kidney tuberculosis to nephrotic syndrome. While disease names have changed, the symptoms have remained consistent. Birth and Pregnancy This information can be found under ghkacademy.info. During childbirth, a crisis emerges. This is called the epicrisis. So, what functions do these striated muscles serve during this critical period? For individuals with epilepsy, the crisis manifests as tonic prolonged contractions of the striated muscles, an epileptic seizure. Similarly, during birth, which is also a crisis, we encounter tonic contractions of the cervix muscles rather than a clonic birthing process. This tonic contraction can create challenges in opening the birth canal. Tonic cramps signify extended contractions distinct from the rhythmic cramps associated with clonic cramps, which are generated by the smooth muscles of the uterus during contractions. The more anxious a person becomes, the greater this obstacle becomes. 
As people grow calmer, their epileptic seizures become milder. The same principle applies to women during childbirth. The more reassured they feel, the less the cervix muscles tense during the crisis. This reduction in tension reduces the blockage, making childbirth easier. However, there are situations that can elevate tension, causing transverse striated muscles of the cervix to cramp. Hospitalization and the fear of it, fear of the healthcare provider, unfamiliar faces during childbirth, the birthing position, time constraints and stress due to healthcare providers, negative sexual experiences, among other factors. These factors can heighten tension, leading to cramps in the transverse striated muscles of the cervix. Monica had a terrible experience with the birth of her first child, which had to be cesarean section delivery. Because of this terrible experience, she vowed never to go back to the hospital again. After that, she had three more home births, two of which were free births, with much success and ease. It's actually perfectly fine to have vaginal births after cesarean section. Just another myth busted, and Monica is proof of that. Whenever you feel your body is falling apart, know that it's actually falling into place. Trust in your biology that studied itself for billions of years. You must be patient with Mother Nature, for she is molding a masterpiece. And really, that's why you're called a patient. Don't panic, don't fear, as these can cause new conflicts overlapping with the older ones. Consult Germanic New Medicine resources and consultants and arm yourself with knowledge and believe in the wisdom of your biology. In short, your body doesn't want you to die. It wants you to thrive. In biohacking, you control your biology so it doesn't control you. But first, heal your mindset. To biohacking and beyond, see you in the next episode.